Erev Tov, good evening. We are together on page 3a of the Talmud Gimel Amud Aleph. Last week I left you with a question. And the question was, that if the night is made up of three watches, three mishmarot, the last Ashmurah, according to one reading of the Talmud, takes place at the end of the third watch. The end of the third watch is Alot HaShachar. Alot HaShachar. The rise of dawn. Daybreak. And I asked you a question there. If you were to research the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer as to what time you say the Shema Yisrael at, and how that reconciles with this opinion over here. So, last week I read to you that the Mishnah on page Tet tells us that according to Rabbi Eliezer, you're able to read Shema Yisrael not exactly from dawn, but a little bit afterwards. What's the time that he says a little bit afterwards? Very good. So Baruch said correctly, and that is that when you can distinguish between green of the grass, let's say, and uh, blue of your tchelet, on the strings in your tzitziot. Oh, it's really not my time right now to make a pitch about tchelet, but I'm going to make a pitch about tchelet anyways. If you want to fulfill the mitzvah of tzitzit properly, what does it mean properly? According to the Torah, the way it's written in the Torah, the way you say at least three times a day. There's a corner of blue on your tzitzit. Then you have to put tzitzit in your tzitzit. If you want to keep doing what Amisel has been doing for a long time, I can't tell you that Amisel has been doing something wrong forever. Not a matter of right or wrong, it's a matter of we today have knowledge that generations before us didn't have. And because of that, we're able to do things that generations before us didn't have. We weren't able to do it. And I... I if you can, I know it's expensive. I know it costs money. If anyone needs help with that, you can reach out. But in terms of the mitzvah, there's a mitzvah of techelet, even b'zman So let's look at Tosafot. Tosafot is found on page 3a in the Vilna Talmud. So if you're in a regular art scroll, Koran, whatever Talmud you have in front of you right now, you want to look at page 3a. How do you know where Rashi is and how do you know where Tosafot is on the page of the Talmud? Rashi is always on the inside. Tosafot is always on the outside. There are some Masechtot that don't have Tosafot, uh, don't have maybe Rashi. So then those orders switch with other commentaries. But for right now, here in Berachot, you have Rashi and Tosafot. Tosafot in the left Leman degani bevayit afel, the third paragraph in Tosafot. For a person who's in a dark home, remember the third sign is needed at the end of the third watch for a person who's laying at home alone. Says Tosafot, vim tomar v'halo rbi eliezer 
עד שיכיר, בן תחלת דקרטה, דדרי בליעזר, He says you have to be able to differentiate between blue and green. And that's a little bit later than the third watch. That's not dawn, it's after dawn. You can answer. That once he's able to tell when Amud HaShachar is, when dawn is, By the time he gets up and he gets himself ready, he's dressed, washes his hands, whatever he needs to do, by that time, this person is already later than Amud HaShachar, and it's at the right time for Rebbe Eliezer. So don't ask, this end of the third watch is not the time for Kirat Shema according to Rebbe Eliezer. It is, it is. Meaning, by the time he sees the sign of the third watch, And then he washes his hands, gets dressed, everything else that happens, and by that time it's already going to be when you can differentiate between blue and green. And that is exactly when he should be reciting Kriyat Shema. Baruch Atah Adonai. Yes, we understand those of The answer makes sense to you? Uh, your alarm clock. No, that was, that was, uh, how he gets up in the first place is when the husband and wife are talking and the baby's nursing, that's what gets him up in the first place. The question was not how he gets up. The question is, it's still too early to say Kiryat Shema according to Rabbi Eliezer. So how does the third sign help Rabbi Eliezer? And the answer is, the third sign helps Rabbi Eliezer because by the time he's done getting ready, it will already be the time for Kiryat Shema according to Rabbi Eliezer. That's the answer. So on to the next piece. Until today, we've dealt almost exclusively in pshat, in understanding exactly how the sugya works, exactly what the Gemara is saying. I believe that I've addressed all of the 13 questions that I asked initially. And because of that, with your permission, I'm ready to start peeling back the layers and making sure that we get into some deeper understandings of this Gemara. Yes? Okay. Attached to the Zoom invitation in the Google Classroom is an excerpt from the commentary of Rabbeinu Bachye. So if you look at the bottom of the Google Classroom, now by the way, you should know there's two Rabbeinu Bachyas. Who are they? Who are the two different ones? Rabbeinu Bachyay Okay, which book did he write? Chovot uh, Very good, Chovot HaLevavot. And who's the other one? The one that we have in the Chumash, Rabbeinu Bachye Ben. Ben Asher. 
That's right. He's an entirely different Rabbeinu Bachyeh than, there's a very good one. He's an entirely different Rabbeinu Bachyeh than the one that is, wrote Chubat Levavot. Both are important works. Both come from entirely different worldviews. But let's look here at Rabbeinu Bachyeh and the Chumash. So if you open up any Chumash that you have that has commentaries to Shemot, 11, or, or if you want to use and see the commentary of Ibn Ubaqiyah, so go to the Google Classroom invitation and click the first link attached to the Google Classroom. Which Ibn Ubaqiyah are we listening to now? The one in the Chumash. That's Okay, so we have here the Jewish people are leaving Egypt in the 11th chapter of the Shemot. 11.7, the Pasuk says, And to all the Jewish people, What does it mean? Who has English in front of them? 11.7. So what its tongue? Wet. Wet. Wet its tongue. W H E T. Okay. Very good. The meish v'ad behemah the man tedun asher yafle adonai ben Mitzrayim ben Israel. The dog will act differently to the Jewish people. And this will be a sign that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is treating Am Yisrael differently than the rest of the people of Egypt. Now this word here, Yafle, Yafle is important. Yafle, Rashi correctly says, Yavdil, separates. In Hebrew, in Israel, we call um, discrimination, racism. The word that is used is Aflaya. Yeah, that someone is Mafle, one to another, divides people between two different groups. It's called Aflaya. So look at Rabbeinu Bachye here. Rabbeinu Bachye has two commentaries on this verse. So if you click on that verse, let's say in Sepharia 11.7, and then you click commentaries, you click Rabbeinu Bachye, what you'll find is two paragraphs. The first begins, Al based in Pshat, he translates this verse. The second paragraph, that which interests me today, according to the approach of Kabbalah. I'm going to skip down a few sentences because really the whole piece of Rabbeinu Bachia, I don't feel that we need to get into. We're not discussing Egypt right now, we're discussing the Gemara that's in front of us. And you're going to see very quickly what it has to do with each other.
I'm looking for the words that say uve perush. Uferush. And in explicitly, Amru Rabotenu Zal, our rabbis of blessed memory told us. Kilavim Tsoakim. When the dogs howl, Malach Hamavid Balair, the angel of death comes to the city. So when you hear dogs howling, you know the Malach Hamavit has come to the city. Kilavim Sochakim, Eliyahu Balair. When the dogs are laughing, Eliyahu Hanavi comes to the city. Vamru od bivrachot, and furthermore, Masechet berachot. They said, Lachalok mishmarot hanayna, Shem gimel mishmarot, to separate the night into three parts, there are three parts of the night. Rishona, the first watch, the first sign, what is it? A donkey brace. Chamor Noer. What does Chamor Noer signify? Alpia Kabbalah, Remez Lamidata Chesed. The donkey brain is connected directly to the character trait of Chesed. Want to call it kindness? Fine. Chesed is connected to who? Who's our forefather that is Chesed? Avraham Avinu. Why? Because there, you will not find the word chamor, donkey, mentioned in the Torah, Ad Sheba Avraham. Until Avraham Avinu comes, the word chamor is not found in the Torah. When our rabbis use the word chamor noer, the donkey brace, they are triggering a reaction, according to Rabbeinu Bachia, in your mind. You should think donkey, donkey, chesed. Why chesed? Because donkey first appears in the Torah when it comes to Avraham Avinu. So whatever this is going to mean, Alpi Kabbalah, the first part of the night, the first third, is connected to donkey's brain. Donkey's brain are connected to Avraham Avinu, and that brings us into a realm of chesed. Mishmara Shaniya, the second watch. Kilavim tzo'akim. Dogs are howling. Himidat adin. That is the character trait of din. Judgment. Shesamu bazeh remez leklavim tzo'akim. Our rabbis intentionally built into this teaching in the Gemara. The second watch is connected to dogs howling. Not dogs laughing. Why dogs howling? Because they know that Chachamim already taught us dogs laughing means Eliyahu Hanavi comes to the city. Dogs howling means Malachamavit comes to the city. Very good. And because of that, they're triggering this idea. And that's Din. Angel of death, judgment, those are connected. The third watch. A woman speaks with her husband. And a baby nurses from his mother. They're alluding to This is directly connected to Parnasa. That in this time in the morning, the first watch of the morning, I mean the last watch of the night really I should say, that is a time where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is granting Parnasa to every person who is in the world. 
by the way, if I recall correctly, there's a Hasidic Rebbe, Noam Elimelech. Who wrote the book Noam Elimelech? Rabbi Elimelech of Lezhensk. He writes in Noam Elimelech that it's at this time of the night, the last part, if only a husband and wife would know that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is blessing them with Parnassah now, they wouldn't waste their time talking to each other. They would use their time to pray for Parnassah. This last part of the night is connected to Parnassah. The Chen Ramaz Shalomo, and that's what Shalomo is alluding to in Mishle. It's part of Eshet Chayil. That she wakes up still while it's dark and she prepares the needs of her home. Meaning, she's preparing the parnasah for her home. That's what she's doing. That's why she's waking up before, while it's still dark. She's waking up in the last Mishmarah, which is connected to parnasah. Hatinok, the baby, what does he signify? Huklal haolam is the world. The world in general is a baby. Mishde'imo, the breast of the mother, this is the woman who speaks with the husband. And okay, this is really not relevant to us. But you find here this idea of a baby nursing from his mother. This is HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving sustenance to the world like a baby receives from his mother, we receive from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. These three signs that we talk about in Masechet Berachot, says Rabbeinu Bachian, that's his commentary in the Torah, this directly connects to three character traits that we're familiar with already in the world. And the images, the animals that the rabbis are using, Chachamim are using, are intended to elicit certain reactions from us, connections. They're supposed to connect things in our mind, assuming that we know enough Torah, that these are the things we think about. We think about a donkey with a chesed, we think about dogs howling, we think about din, we think about, about uh, a woman speaking with her husband, a baby nursing from his mother, we think about the time which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving sustenance to the world, parnasah to the world. And these are the ideas behind these three watches. That's in the writings of Rabbi Nubakhi. I want to walk you through a different piece, which is found in the PDF that I attached to the Google Classroom. It's the regular En Yaakov, the page of the En Yaakov that I have been sending you all the time, but there's a commentary that I'm looking for on that page. So if you open up the En Yaakov PDF, you see that one? Attach this. And you want to find the page, then the top right says Dalid. What page of that is a PDF? Is page six in the PDF. So it's four in Hebrew, but six of the PDF, okay? Look in the rightmost column. It's a narrow, narrow column on the outside of the page. It says Likutim. We're quoting from a commentary on the En Yaakov that was written by an Ashkenazi rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Yitzchak Rappaport. 
Rechaim Yitzhak Rappaport was born in Slonim in 1802. I don't know much more about Rabbi Yitzhak Rappaport, but his commentary made it onto the page, and it's a beautiful commentary here to think about. He writes the following, and it's long, so bear with me because I want to consolidate his points, but I don't want to skip his words. So let's read through it, but we, we might not stop at everything. So the bold writing is the quote from the Gemara. There are three watches in the night. He's now going to share with us the significance of those three watches. I wish to interpret this teaching of the three watches and the donkey and the dogs and, and the woman and the husband and the baby. I wish to interpret this in the way of Musar, of ethics, the remes, and, and hints, allusions, not Kabbalah. I'm definitely not telling you this is what Rabbi Eliezer meant when he wrote it, but I'm trying to teach you a message that is relevant for your life from this teaching of the Gemara. Vehu, and this is it. Shiadua, it's known Shishnot Hadam. He's not the only one who says this. But it's known that the life of a person is split up into three parts. Yaldut, their childhood, their youth. These are referred to the days of growth. When you're still growing. Bacharut is the next stage. It's not youth, it's you're still young though. Shemani Kareem Yime Amida, the days of stability, the days of standing. It's kind of where you plateau and you spend the middle of your life in this place. Vizikna and old age. Vehema Yime Yerida. And these are referred to the days of going down. So there's going up, plateauing, going down. Nobody get depressed, okay? The point is here not to depress anybody. <laughs> Because when a person is young, it seems like they get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. There's still this age where people are growing and they get more capable than they were when they were young. And in the middle era, people don't get stronger. They're not really getting weaker. They kind of stay in the same place. It's generally everything is very steady there. And then a person's old age, as Yargish Batsmo, then a person begins to feel that a person feels their strength is slowly leaving them. And they feel that every day they're going a little weaker and a little weaker. Things that they could do yesterday, they can no longer do today. Now, pause for just a moment and realize that we live in a world, Baruch Hashem, where life expectancy is much longer than it used to be. There were days where people's old age was 36, 37, 38, and they were dead. So, Baruch Hashem, nobody should feel bad about what we refer to as Yimei Rida. Today we live, what does David HaMelech say? In Bigvurot, Shemonim, Shara, maybe a person will live 80 years. Baruch Hashem, many people live beyond that already. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say that part. V'derch gever ba'alma. And it's the way of a person in the world. I mean, most people, not everybody, of course. We can't stereotype everyone. That in their youth, that they waste their time on utter nonsense. With no purpose to do better in the world. 
youth is wasted on the young, right? That's what they say. There's people that when they reach the knowledge, I can change the world, I can do it, but they're really, it's, it's hard. It's like they don't have the strength they have anymore. People spend much of the first part of their life wasted on nothing. And then when a person reaches their middle life, people start to get involved in things of panasa, of Somebody's away from me. People started getting involved in Panasa and in Melacha and all kinds of jobs and professions. Oh, it's Raphael. And they try to save up money like dirt, like dust. People just want to hoard money. That's what they want. They want to get rich quick. Everyone wants to get rich when they're in this part of their life. Why? Their whole purpose is to be successful in this world, to enjoy this world, to be rich enough to vacation, to buy fancy cars, to, I don't know what they want to waste their money on. The people are hoarding money because of this. When a person reaches their older age, a person begins to think of preparing, preparing provisions for their journey. Bet moed the place that is waiting for all people. Umeaz, and from that moment, we'll find people spend that part of their life really getting serious about Torah and mitzvot and, and preparing myself for my journey into the next world because I was playing games until now and now it's time to get my act together. And Rabbi Eliezer comes along with his teachings. To strengthen the heart of a person, to, to support a person. That even if you waited until your third trimester of life to start fixing your actions and really taking your life seriously. A person shouldn't think, what's the point of doing Teshuvah now, of learning Torah now, of being so serious in my learning now, of praying so much now. I wasted most of my life. And the, these are the words of Esther HaMalka. Esther tells Mordechai, I'm already lost, so what's the point of trying? Heaven forbid a person to say this. Even if you start doing Teshuvah only at the end of your life, you can still reach the highest of places. Don't think that you need your whole life to reach the highest of places. You decide now, now is when it all begins. You know what I'm thinking about when I think of this? You might be thinking of Rabbi Akiva. Oh, very good. In a minute. In a minute. To hand someone who worked more than a minute, there was a famous Chacham. His name was Rabbi Salman Eliyahu. Who can tell me who was Rabbi Salman Eliyahu? Chacham Mordechai's father. Very good. Chacham Mordechai Eliyahu's father. This famous chief rabbi of Israel, is what? Chacham Mordechai Eliyahu? His father, Chacham Salman Eliyahu. Chacham Salman Eliyahu lived in Baghdad. He was a very educated man. You know, then in Iraq, the people were very involved in the world. England, France, the, the business, university. People were very, very... This, there's this terrible stigma of people from the Middle East, Jews especially in the Middle East, somehow 
when people were still taking water out of wells in the shtetl and, and unable to read and write, you had Jews that were professors in universities and in uh, North Africa, in Iraq, in other countries. It's not even, a, the, the narrative is so embarrassing to those who believe it. Forget, forget those who think about it, but those who believe it, it's something not normal. Uh, it, but it's part of a, a very, very, it's a methodological, help me with that. Very good, you know what I'm talking about. A way of the West to always view itself as superior to the East. This has to do a lot with occupation and colonies and we in the West know better than you in the East. And, and there's a famous Chacham Shimon Agassi. Chacham Shimon Agassi talks about when the Europeans came to Iraq, to Baghdad. Non-Jewish Europeans, uh, they came. And he said all the Jews just wanted to be more European. They were tripping over themselves to be European. And he says the Pasuk in Shir Hashirim, Markivot Amin Nadiv, we say in Shir Hashirim, we became the chariots of this very fancy nation. We, everything we could do, we just want to be their horses. We want to be the wheels on their wheels. So it's embarrassing to see people throw away all of their tradition, all of their life, all of their values, their cultures, their everything, in order to be what, he said? To be part of a bankrupt Amin Adiv. He said the, the grass on the other side of the fence is not green. You think it's green, but it's not green. And unfortunately, it's a reality we still struggle with today. I think of Rabbi Salman Nadiyah, who was a successful businessman, at a certain point in time, realized that he knew very little Torah, almost nothing at all. He was a regular Jew who lived in Baghdad. Approached the British Chai. If I'm not mistaken, after taking advice from the British Chai, he began learning Torah. Well, that's not the part I'm not mistaken about. So I'm not mistaken, the first time he finished the Zohar, the British Chai was there with him at his siyum. He became a very close student of the Benish Chai. Ultimately, the Benish Chai sends him to the land of Israel. Those who are familiar with Iraqi traditions, uh, Kabbalistic tradition, they send him to Israel. The legend goes, the Benish Chai told him that the Zionists would be coming to Israel and he had to keep Israel holy when all of this secularism would come to Israel. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for me in the writings of the Benish Chai to find such a personality, but okay, to, to each their own. Nonetheless, Rabbi Samaniel comes to Jerusalem, where he becomes the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshivat He becomes the Rosh Hashiva of all the Kabbalists in Israel. You have a man here who, for most of his life, was, was just a regular Jew who was very successful in business, didn't learn Torah at all. But by the time he finds himself in Israel, he's already the Rosh Hashiva of the Mekubalim. He, or, he passed away when Chamor Chayyam was very young. Chamor Chayyam was a young boy. Chamor Chayyam had a, a very special place in his heart for orphans. There's a story once, he had to come to a Shiva house. There was a person who lost his father. And this 10-year-old boy was crying his eyes out that his father had passed away. Chamor Chayyam at the Shiva house took the boy in his lap and he said, You know, let me tell you a story that once was a boy who came from a family with a lot of money and everything was great and his father was doing well and his father died and he didn't have any money and this boy was the oldest of all the boys and he had to go to collect money for the family. He would sell ice in the streets. He would buy big chunks of ice and he would go door to door to sell ice. And whatever money he'd get home, he'd have to pay back the guy he bought the ice from because you know at the end of the day the ice melts, nothing left. He said, and then he'd bring home whatever pilotot were left to go help his mother. The boy couldn't go to school. The boy couldn't do anything. He had no friends. He had no life. He said, but you know that boy, 
He became very famous later in life. He said, then you could do it too. And the boy says to Chamelechel, don't tell me fairy tales. I, who is that guy? And he says, that's me. You're sitting on my lap. He said, the chief rabbi of Israel started like you, a boy who was 10 years old who didn't have a father. He said, you can make it too. If I was able to make it, you can make it also. Rabbi Salman Aliyah, at the end of his life, chooses to travel to Israel, become the head of the Mukubalim. Everybody can do this. Don't beat yourself up, says the Enishak. You, no matter when you decide to start learning Torah, still can make an impact. This is what our rabbis intended when they wrote in Masechet Avot in the sixth chapter. And every day, a voice comes out from the mount of Chorev and says, Woe to them, someone finished the verse because he doesn't do it. Who knows Pekin Avot well? Oy lahem! Rabbanit. Ima. Kol yom v'yom bat kol yotzet mehar chorev v'omeret oy lahem. Lebanayot. No, 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 that's different. That's from Gimbarchot, now from Avot. You guys all know the Talmud by heart, look at that. Oy lahem lebiriot. Ah, very good. Me'el bonash al-Torah. From the embarrassment of the Torah. Meaning, we spend so much of our life on Facebook, on YouTube, on Netflix, on I don't know what we're busy, running around the stock market, going to war, everything we do. It's not waste. I mean, you, you do things. You enjoy yourself. You, you have faith upon But we neglect the Torah. Don't think that just because you neglected the Torah in the past, you should keep it. Every single day a voice comes out of Makhorev. Every single day we decide whether or not today is the day we learn Torah or it's not. That the life in this world is called darkness, night. Like it says in Masech Chagiga, Maresh Lakish, Resh Lakish. Who's Resh Lakish? What is his story? He also starts off a bandit. He's a robber. He's a mafia guy. Not like today where people started off good Jews and then they become rabbis and so they become mafia bosses. It's the other way around. He started off a mafia boss and then he became a Tamil Chacham. It's the other way around. Anybody who learns Torah in this world and this world is referred to as night time. And this is what Rabbi Eliezer means when he says, Gimel Mishmarot Have Halayla, the night is made up of three watches. Rasal Omar, he means to say, Shimei Chaye Hadam Ba'olam Hazeh Mechunim Layla, that a person's life in this world, which is called nighttime, because it's night, the three watches of the night, we're living in a world that is dark, it is night. The life of a person in this world is split up into three parts. Yaldut, Bacharut, Vizikna. Youth, middle age, and our old age. Look on the top of the next page. Hey, so that's going to be seven in your PDF. Top of the left page in the leftmost column, the narrow one. 
ועל כל משמר ומשמר יושב הקדוש ברוך הוא ושואג הרין. And every one of those watches, הקדוש ברוך הוא sits and he roars like a lion. רצה לומר, he means to say רבי דיעזר, שבכל עת הקדוש ברוך הוא מעורר הלבבות. That every moment הקדוש ברוך הוא wakes up the hearts of the Jewish people. It doesn't make a difference how old you are. He wakes up the hearts of the Jewish people על ידי הבת קול היוצאת מהר חורב. With his voice that comes out from Hachorev. If you remember many, many years ago, I gave our first Agarita class in three weeks. Now, it was in this time of the year. Marlene, for sure you were there. I don't know who else was there, but I gave an Agarita class. And the class that I gave was all about the Batkol. What is a Batkol? Is it a voice of Hashem? Is it something in our subconscious? What's a, is it Eliyahu Hanavi? What is a Batkol? Not for today. That voice that comes out from the mountain. Rabbi Yoni, we gave a series during the three weeks. Right, a three-part. I think it's on our YouTube. I think Baruch uploaded it. If you look, Agadata, yeah. but before, before this series. Look at old Agadata, and so sort it by date. I think you'll find those classes. No, 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 it was before your time. You were a long time ago. You were, still, you were the only person involved. You, you put it up, I remember. This voice comes out every day. Why? It tries to wake you up even when you're a child. Learn Torah, do mitzvot, be involved, take your life seriously. And if it doesn't work, also in the middle time of your life, every day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying. Wake up, wake up, wake up. To, to get you excited to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu ולשקוד על התורה and to spend time with the Torah ועל העבודה and serving Hashem וכמו שכתבו המקובלים like the מקובלים right שבאמת כל נפש מישראל מתרגשת ונחרדת כרגע בעת ששומעת הבת קול that every Jewish soul subconsciously hears this voice the bat call that comes out every moment you hear it and for just a moment a Jewish soul shakes and it, it remembers this voice that comes from HaKorev כי מזלי חזה, רק שמתבלבל לתכף על ידי תירודי היצע הרע. Your subconscious feels this call of Hashem, but immediately it gets covered up by the יצע הרע. You know, you have moments of clarity in life, and then right away they get, you get distracted somewhere else. This happens to every person all the time. אמנם, כן אין כוח ביצרו לבלבלו, ורק בהיותו עודנו בימי ילדותו, או גם בבחרותו בלבד. רצה לומר בימי ילדותו, אז טבע החמור ינער בו. When a person is young, the first part of their life is compared to a chamor, a donkey. Why a donkey? The donkey is all about chomriyut, chomer, physicality, this world, childishness, youthfulness. This is what a donkey is. שעסקיו כחמור, שהוא גס השכל יותר משור. וחמור is a more thick-headed animal than an ox. When you look at the intelligence of farm animals, don't, nobody's hating on donkeys. But a donkey isn't the top of the intelligent food chain. It's not referred to, it, it, even in English, when you call somebody by that word, it's, it's intended to put down their intelligence. Yes? In Hebrew they do it a lot, in Arabic they do it a lot. וכמו שכתוב לגצה זה נשעיהו, ידע שור קונהו וחמו, שאז רודף אחר ההבל הגמור כמו לרקוד ולקפוץ מבלי שום תכלית טוב כלל. People spend their life, it says like when you watch people dancing. My wife, her Hasidic side, is going to have to forgive me. 
you see people skipping, jumping, tapping their heels, clapping, doing somersaults. It's cute. I mean, it's fine. But what is it? What purpose does it serve? If you're doing it for exercise, I'm not hitting on you. But it's not. People waste their life like a donkey skipping in the fields. The second part of your life, kelavim zoakim, bizman adam, the second part of a person's life. Dehainu bizman b'charuto, as teva hakalbitzoek v'toveach elko. The dog part of you starts to call out, howls inside of you. And it demands, hey, pay attention to me. Stop being a donkey and I'll be a dog. Be rich. It makes you want to take all the crazy risks in the world. Kids are afraid to take risks. Older people are too wise to take risks. People in this era of life, ah, they take all kinds of risks. They do crazy things that wisdom would tell them, don't do it. But it's all for the money, it's all for the end game, it's all for the show, it's for whatever is important right now. That even convinces you to travel across the desert to go make money or to go leave your family to go make money. And to become rich. He said, and most of the time, even the people who you consider successful because of how much money they have, they're so busy still trying to have more money, they don't even enjoy their money. They're so busy being rich, but they don't even enjoy their money. Ad shemet, until they die. They end up leaving all of their money to their children or the people that come after them, and they're the ones who get all the money. I have a friend who's a rabbi, his father's a doctor. His father has a lot of zikhuyot. He took care of his son, the rabbi. His son is not a kolal guy. His son is a big tamikham who works as a rabbi. But as working as a rabbi is almost a, a mutually exclusive terms. And he, he works as a rabbi, meaning he works like the guy in McDonald's makes more money than him. And so the father always supplemented this young man's income. And when I once spoke with the father, he told me, you know, in the next world, I don't want to come back as a doctor. I'm ever, if there were ever reincarnations, I don't want to come back as a doctor. I want to come back as the rabbi who's the son of a doctor. <laughs> so you work so hard. What happens? You work hard. Your kids get rich quick. They, they're the ones who get rich quick. Not you. You had to work for it. Pelioed says even worse. Pelioed says even more sarcastic. Remember that Pelioed says you spend your whole life getting money, buying money. Finally, you buy a house and you remodel the house and you put in new floors and baths and mirrors. And, and then you die and your wife marries somebody else and he lives in your house. That's a Remember? So you spent your whole life building a house for who? For the other guy? Let him build his own house. And it's like a dog. It's like a guard dog. Where does the guard dog live? Outside of his master's house. He has a little wooden house. He's the whole day he's out there barking at everybody. Don't get near the house. The mailman, the delivery guy. Don't get near the house. Whose house? Not even his house. He's barking over someone else's house. And he's awake night and day. The dog doesn't go to sleep. Every time somebody walks by, he starts barking. And what does the dog get? He gets some kind of moldy bread that the owner throws at him. Forget moldy bread. You want to say? You're from those people who go buy your dog organic food. From a, go look. You would eat that stuff? Even you wouldn't eat that stuff. So all of that hard work the dog does for what? For the, the food that comes in a bag from Costco. That's what you work so hard for. 
Everybody lives in life like that at a certain point in their life. They work hard, they work hard. They work. I think I once heard, I don't know if it was, maybe it was Steve Jobs, but don't hold me, it could be it wasn't him. He said that either you follow your own dreams or somebody else will hire you to follow theirs. Right. Yes. Is it him? And I think that this is most people. Most people spend their life working so hard. For who? So some CEO buys a third vacation house, a fourth vacation house, a private jet, I don't know, goes on vacation for two months with his family to the Bahamas and you're working overtime until 11 o'clock at night. Why? Why are you working so hard? That's not a matter of panasa anymore for your house. Now it's a matter of you're the dog outside of someone else's house, barking at everybody so he can sleep at night while you bark at them. We end up being the guard dogs. We work so hard to bring money home for our children. And anybody who comes after us. But it's not for us. Do the math. How much money do you need to live in your life? Not, no plan. Your life. It doesn't mean be... I recently did a funeral for somebody who intentionally left her children out of her will. One of those, it's a hard, it's a hard world, you know, I, I don't, I spoke with the Levaya, I don't know the person even well. I spoke because not one person in the funeral could say one good word. Not even the children. I think to myself, I'm lowering a person into the earth by a rain gutter. It's, it's, uh, what, did she, what did she get? Her whole life she fought with all her kids, and what did she even, now she had a lot of money, good, so what? The cat society got some more money, and this uh, university got some more money. What happened? What did you work so hard your whole life for? At a certain point, you say, listen, I have enough. I'm happy. I mean, uh, you want more? More. But I have what I need. The next generation can also work a little bit hard. Like it says in Tilim, Al-Tirak, Yashir Ish. David HaMelech says, don't be afraid when you see a person become wealthy. That you see their house is full of honor. They have such a beautiful... Don't get, don't get jealous of people. Once I was walking with somebody in La Jolla, La Jolla Farms. You know that area over there? So I was like, wow, look at these houses. Wow. I said, look, this person has 15 bedrooms in their house. How many people are you? You and your wife and three kids. That's five bedrooms. So what are you going to do? Every night you're going to go sleep in a different bedroom. You're going to move your bed here. Move your bed. Why, do you, why are you even jealous of a house that has 15 bedrooms? What you see it? Wow! So what? when I drive to Los Angeles in my Ford, it goes just as fast as the guy with the Lamborghini because both of us have to drive 65 miles an hour. Why do you spend your whole life being jealous of the guy who has a yellow car? They were so cheap they couldn't even make it tall enough for him to sit inside of it normally. Why are you so jealous of everybody? For why? For what purpose? Says David Hamelech, "Kilo When he dies. He's not taking anything with him. His honors doesn't come with him there in the grave. By the way, you see, you go to the cemetery, there are some people, even when they die, they want to be the most famous guy in the cemetery. They have a big tomb, they have pictures on it, and big. meaning even when they're dead, they still try to poke everybody's eyes out. It's embarrassing. It's the most beautiful cemetery I was in my life. Or a military cemetery. In this country, another country, in Israel, I'm thinking, no matter which rank they were in the army, no matter which... Everybody's grave is the same. If you live your life like that, then you're not going to be jealous of the people around you. You're not going to work all day and all night. So they took a vacation to, to I don't know, to, to the Virgin Islands, and you live in San Diego. 
You know how many people pay money to come visit the vacation over here? So why are you so embarrassed of what, what, what you can afford? Sorry, for those of you who are not in Sam, I don't mean to poke your eyes out. Yeah, but everybody's in a, in a different place. There are people who pay money to come where you're living. So decide today you're taking, what do they call them, a, a staycation. You're taking a vacation where you live. When's the last time you went to the beach in La Jolla and just put out a towel as if you were in Hawaii? Imagine. It's the same ocean, by the way. Okay, maybe it looks a little different over there, but it's the same ocean. So you're jealous of all the people. Why? For what purpose? Well, you're working so hard to outdo them. What do they have that you don't have? Harapirat once told me, the only difference between you and a wealthy person is that a wealthy person has millions of dollars behind their credit card in the bank account. So you can also pretend you have millions of dollars in a bank account somewhere. None of you are walking around with a million dollars in your pocket. So you walk around pretending that you have a credit limit like this, he has a credit limit like that, so you pretend. You, I mean, the, what, what difference does it make for how you feel every day? That's the generation of the dog. Shalishit, in the last part of life, a baby nurses from his mother. Ratzal Omar, Rabbi Eliezer is teaching us, says Rabbi Rappaport. In the end, the last third of a person's life, finally they begin to awaken to the deeper part of their life that hears the voice of the Batkol. When they begin to study Torah, that person, despite their age, is really for the first time in their life like a baby who's nursing from his mother. That her breasts will nurture you at every point. Just like every time that a baby goes to his mother and he nurses from her, he finds milk, so to the Torah. Every time, no matter which part of your life you decide to start nursing, there is going to be what to find for you inside of the Torah. You know, our rabbis, by the very definition of the way they wrote their texts, were two things I could tell you about them. They were not Catholics. Yeah, they weren't Catholics. And two, they were not perverts. Why am I telling you what I'm telling you now? In the West, when you read a pasuk like what I just read to you right now, oh, maybe you shouldn't translate it like that. Maybe you should say, why? Why can't our chachamim speak about the beauty of a world, including people's bodies, and not mean anything more than something beautiful? Because our mind can't handle it? Because we've been programmed? Why they can't translate Shir HaShirim anymore inside of your Chumash? The book that Shlomo HaMelech says is the holiest of holy of all of his books. We're too afraid to translate into English? Because of what? Because of people with sick minds that don't understand? That we're speaking with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? It's two people who are in love with each other? And they speak the same way? The way that we whisper with our spouses in the middle of the night is the same way we should be talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the middle of the day? Maybe they don't want a Judaism that is that intimate and that intense. But you can imagine what would happen if we were allowed to experience such a Judaism? You can imagine what happened today if one of the Chachamim wrote songs like Rabbi Shalom Evan Givirun. Imagine if somebody wrote a song today, a name, I'm not going to say a name. Enter the name of a big rabbi you've heard of before. And he wrote a song. Beautiful one, awaken the love. Arouse me. 
and, and raise your voice, sing to me. What, a rabbi is asking a woman to sing to him? What kind of, he doesn't know halakha, says he can't hear a woman singing. That's all people can think about anymore. If these chachamim that we, we live off of their Torah, if they live today, we would throw them out of the Jewish community. Because we're sick. Not you, obviously not you. That even if a person merits in their older age to start learning Torah for the right reasons, that a person can graduate from being a baby that nurses Torah, even in their old age, to being the husband of the Torah. Meaning, to be in a conversation with the Torah at an equal level, perhaps, forgive me, in, in traditional Jewish context, a Baal is the one who is, is, is responsible for the Torah. And that's what it says, a woman speaks with her husband. The Torah can become your wife. The Torah is compared to a wife. And the Tamih Chacham is like the husband of the Torah. I don't know if this applies anymore, but I'm going to translate what he writes. Just like a man has the ability to... Uh, you could mistranslate this as to force his wife how to think, but to influence the way his wife thinks. This goes two ways, by the way. Spouses... It's not, a, it's not a passive relationship. It's an active relationship. There are things that my wife has changed in my life. And there are things that I've certainly changed in hers. That is the relationship. It's no longer a baby nursing from a mother passively. This is a relationship where a person who becomes the spouse of the Torah is able, it's not manipulation. It's able to influence the Torah. You can end up being the person who learns the Torah and is able to bring about new halachot that didn't exist before in the Torah. And to bring about novel interpretations of the Torah because now the Torah is something that you have the ability to engage with. Doesn't make a difference how old you are. Doesn't make a difference which part of your life you are in. I was going to do one more commentary with you today, but I'd rather leave it for next week. Very right. Correct. Um, you know, I think that we, we're not fair sometimes, and that there are, just like there are Sephardic rabbis who didn't belong there, there are Ashkenazi rabbis who, it's not, it's, that's a very good point. This teaching here is, in my opinion, beautiful. He's using the words of Rabbi Eliezer. No, we're not in the realm of Pshat anymore. We're also not in Kabbalah with Rabbi Bachye. I don't actually know what to do with the fact that the first part of the night is Chesed. So what does that do with me? But to tell me that the night is made up of three parts, that there are parts in our life where we're donkeys, and part of our lives where we're dogs, and part of our life where we become wiser than that. We realize that, wow, we have to start getting serious. We have to start nursing from the Torah. But with the end goal that even if you start at the end of your life, you can grow up quick. You can become the spouse of the Torah. And the spouse of the Torah is one who is able to, it's, it's not, no one is reading the Torah passively anymore. 
we're actively engaged with the Torah, we're bringing ideas out from the Torah, just like a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife. This, this is important, because now perhaps we can understand when our rabbis tell us, what is the definition of a zaken, of an elderly person? Our rabbis say zaken is zekana chokhmah. This is a person who has acquired wisdom. Because we talk about a person like Rabbi Al-Azhar bin Arach. He's 18 years old. And then he says, in, in my whole life I never heard Yitziat Mitzrayim. And we say in the Haggadah, you know what I'm talking about? For your whole life, you're 18 years old. Rabbi Al-Azhar bin Arach though, was able to skip donkey, dog, and go straight from where he was in that phase in life, straight to being a zakir. Not old as in, in a negative way. Old as in he was able to cut to the chase, literally. There are some people that became millionaires out of, they didn't finish college. You know many of those people. You've heard of them at least. Yeah. Somebody who says, I want to cut to the chase. I want to get to what's important very quickly. What's wrong with that? We're allowed to do that. You know, sometimes I think about that one thing that we have in the West that, that concerns me is we, we almost, it's not that we allow children. Children have to be children. I don't, I don't believe in child labor. But it's almost like we demand for people to stay children until very late in life. Until you finish college, I don't want to hear an intelligent opinion out of your mouth. I don't want you to think about doing it. I don't want you to college. Right now you have to be a kid. Listen to your... But what about... In, in, there's a world in which 15-year-olds wrote books of Torah. That people were able to lead other people. They were able to... I'm not talking now about marriage and child. Just... Nobody has to remain a child until they're 41 and playing video games in their mother's basement. There's so many people like that in the world. We didn't give them a chance. It's okay to be young and to be accomplished. It's okay to be old and decide, hey, now is my time to start nursing with the Torah. And I will reach the level of a Tamil Chacham. I will. Rabbi Eliezer is teaching all of that to us. Inside of this teaching that the night is made up, night, our life is made up of three parts. Bezad Hashem, next week I want to take apart with you a piece of the Maharal of Prague in his book, Netzach Israel. God willing, we'll get to that next week. I will stick around for anybody who has any questions.